Hi friends, and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. We're getting straight into it in this episode and we are digging into the Bible today. So there's your little warning before we even start. Um, On Sunday, I'm going to talk about this and use some other examples, but I thought it'd be really good here uh, to take even more examples for the podcast, just to show you how in your face this actually is. And it's this, that there is a pattern in the Bible that we can recognise and spot within the characters and their relationship with God. And then we, once we see that pattern, we can recognise that pattern in the lives of church history. We can recognise that pattern in the lives of the people around us, the people that have gone on before us. And we can also recognise that pattern in our own lives as well. And this is the pattern. It's really, really simple. It's this. Revelation and response. And this pattern pops up over and over and over again. And it's all pointing to how particularly worship, but as well as prayer and any kind of relationship, that's this ongoing conversation. It's this ongoing dialogue. That's what we're going to be focusing on on Sunday. But this pattern is a pattern because it repeats. This pattern is a pattern because it's a pattern. Revelation and response, particularly when it comes to our relationship with God. God reveals we respond. God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. Those two things never change. The first part of that pattern never changes. God is constantly revealing, constantly showing us more and more truth, more and more life, more and more love, more and more of God's self over and over and over again. That never ends, that never stops. What is sometimes different is the second half of that pattern, the response. Because God reveals, God reveals, God reveals, and we respond We respond, we respond, but how we respond and whether we respond in the right way or in in the, the right context to the revelation that's been given to us is all down to us. So God reveals, we respond. You see, God isn't distant or far off or hiding or withholding from us. God wants us to see and know God. And God wants us to see and know God's truth and God's light and God's love. It's revelation and response. So with that said, we'll just dig in and see a couple of examples of this from the Bible. We'll just take, we could pretty much pick any and every story from the Bible. We could be here for hours and hours and hours looking at this pattern of revelation and response. But just here's a few examples that didn't make the cut to the uh, the sermon on Sunday, but uh, are well worth digging into and thinking about and going for a walk and mulling over ourselves as we listen to this podcast. So here's the first one from Genesis chapter 28. Starting in verse 10, it says this, Jacob, that's our character here that we're focusing on, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, 
and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So there is the reveal. There's the revelation. Jacob, after a long day's travelling, lies down, goes to sleep, and God reveals something about who God is and what God promises through this dream that this character Jacob has. And the main thing is this presence that God will be with Jacob. That comes up multiple times during this revelation dream, that God will be with Jacob. So there's the revelation. So how does Jacob respond? We have it here in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So there's the response. He could have just gone, oh, that was weird. Never had a dream like that before. Wonder what that means? There's all sorts of different ways that... Jacob could have responded. He could have completely ignored it. He could have put it down to the we- whatever weird thing he'd eaten for tea the night before. But he doesn't. Jacob responds in this way. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He takes on board this promise of presence and he takes it seriously. He sets up this monument. He pours out that oil and offers an offering and names that place Bethel names that place the house of God. Revelation and response. Here's another example, a little bit further in the Bible. First uh, Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. So revelation in this instance, as far as this that's going to happen now is concerned was rare it wasn't something that happened very often one night Eli whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see was lying down in his usual place the lamp of God had not yet gone out Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was then the Lord called Samuel Samuel answered here I am and ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. So we'll stop there. So we have this revelation from God that God calls to Samuel as he is a young boy and not recognising that this call, that this revelation was from God, he goes to the next authority figure in his life. He goes to Eli. So yes, we have a response here and we have a decent response as a, as a boy kind of serving, kind of living underneath the the tutelage of, of this guy, Eli, he's right to hear his name being called and go running to his master, to his father, for all intents and purposes. Samuel's response is right, but it's not quite what God 
was after. It's not quite what this revelation was pointing towards. And Eli, even though his eyes are dim and he's getting old, Eli sees this. Eli recognises this. Eli knows what this revelation is. How does Eli recognise this revelation? It's because he's had this similar revelation himself. It's that he's had this relationship with God in the past. And so now he recognises it in the life of Samuel. So he says here, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. So it's a second revelation. Samuel. And Samuel again got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He even uses the word there. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. There's the correct response, and it's given to him by someone else. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Revelation and response. I bet another example, a couple of uh, books across again, Second Kings uh, chapter 6 says this. Uh, verse 15. When the servant of the man, that's Elisha of God, the man of God is Elisha the prophet here. So when, when Elisha's servant got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord. That's revelation language there. Reveal to my servant what you see, what you know is truth, what you have revealed to me and I see and I know is truth. Now reveal it to this servant. So he prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. There's the revelation. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So what started off with, with fear and concern and desperation and, and feeling like there was no end other than death for the, the prophet and his servant. Now off the prayers of this prophet, now this servant can see he's been revealed and then now he's given the opportunity to respond, not in fear, but in faith. Not in fear, but in, in trust that God has got their back, that God and, and God's army are greater than the army that they can see surrounding them. It's revelation and response. Okay, that's all Old Testament at the moment. So how about we get into the New Testament, into the Gospel of Matthew. Well-known story from Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him, that's Jesus. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. 
He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. So there's the revelation. There's the big reveal of who this person that they'd been following and perhaps up to that point thought, wow, he's a, an amazing rabbi. He's a fantastic teacher and communicator and, and healer and, and he's someone inspiring. And when he talks, he doesn't, he doesn't teach like the other teachers that we've heard and, and he accepts us and he believes in us and, and we want to follow that. That's attractive and all of that great stuff. But up until this point, we haven't had this kind of revelation before where Jesus here reveals who he is, that he is God. Through this act of calming the storm, calming the physical elements around them, the things that have been causing them to be afraid, terrified, thinking so much that they were going to die that they would wake their rabbi as he's asleep in the boat. And Jesus reveals this, and there's that revelation. So now we get to the response. The men were amazed. Other versions say they were shocked. They were filled with awe. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That shows us sometimes that that the revelation, sometimes this revealing from God causes us to ask more questions. And that's okay as long as we don't just stop there. And we read in, in other versions of this same story that what starts in awe and wonder and this kind of holy fear of, of Jesus and who is this man that, that has done this? Who even is this in this boat with us? Then turns to worship. It's the first record in the Gospels of the disciples worshipping Jesus. It's revelation and response. A bit further through in the uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, another well-known story. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now here we have one of the early followers of Jesus after the resurrection, Philip, obeying this call from God. He's re- he's, he has this revealed to him, not only go to this road, go to this specific place on this road, but now go to that chariot. Even though chariots were this place of privilege, they were, as far as Philip was concerned, they were these elite level classes. They were, they were the, the top people. They were the enemy, uh, as far as the early Jesus followers were concerned. These were the people responsible for persecuting and, and, and trying to squash this movement of God. And yet God says, stay near that chariot. Go to where that chariot is and stay near that chariot. And inside that chariot is somebody who's not Jewish, somebody who's Ethiopian, he's from a different country, from a different religion, from a different background. He's also a eunuch, which is, again, a very distinct thing. This is very separate from, very other than what Philip is used to and what Philip would be used to taking the message to. And yet God says, go to there, go to that chariot, stay nearby that chariot and therefore the person in that chariot. There's the revelation 
So how does Philip respond? Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? Said He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And then the story goes on and actually Philip doesn't just go to where the chariot is. He doesn't just stay near the chariot, but he speaks with this Ethiopian and he gets into that chariot. He gets into that Ethiopian eunuch's life, basically. He gets in with the mess and has the conversations with him, which ultimately leads to this Ethiopian being baptised, being brought into this family of God. None of that could have happened if Philip had gone, I'm not going to that road. That's that's oddly specific and a bit weird and out of my way and I've kind of already got plans, thanks God, so ask someone else. Or he could have gone, I'm not going anywhere near that chariot. Chariots mean nothing but trouble to me. Or once he realised inside there was an Ethiopian or a eunuch in there, he could have gone, ooh, no, get away and stayed well away. But But Philip doesn't. He has the revelation from God and he responds. He says yes. And because of that, that Ethiopian that day becomes a follower of Jesus and he's baptised into that family and then takes that good news message, that gospel of life and love of God back with him to Ethiopia as perhaps one of the first of those missionaries. It's revelation and response. Time for one more. Uh, Just a couple of chapters along, still in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So here we have the revelation, very similar, if you hear in the words used and the way it's described, very similar to the the first story that we saw with with Jacob and his dream, his vision of this ladder uh, or this this whatever it was being between, between heaven and earth. Very similar language and yet here we have this revelation from God to Peter and how does Peter first respond? He says, no. He says, no way, this, is, this goes against everything I believe, this goes against my tradition, this goes against everything that I've been taught, or the, the entire way that I've lived my life up until this point, there is no way that I'm going to break those laws. He thought he was doing the right thing by responding in this way. So then God reveals a bit more to him. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Again, echoes back to the calling of Samuel that we heard in one of the other examples where how many times was Samuel called before he answered that call and responded to that revelation in the correct way? Three times. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. 
While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So this time with the revelation, Peter's response is slightly different. After these three times, and he's he's given the chance, he's given the opportunity. We see in here that God is patient with Peter while he thinks about the meaning of the vision, while he thinks about that weird sheep being lowered with all the animals on and God saying, kill and eat, and God saying, what, what I have called clean doesn't matter what you think from in the past. It doesn't matter what you think's worthy and unworthy, what's clean and unclean, what's in and what's out, what's right and what's wrong. None of that matters. If I say it's good, it's good. And while Peter's thinking about all of those things, we have this additional thing now that actually we see is linked to the first, where this guy Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, so therefore an enemy to Peter, someone who is definitely out as far as Peter's concerned, is coming asking for help. He's coming to ask Peter to come to his house, which could have been seen as a trap up until that point, could have been seen as a way of capturing Peter, but no. And later on in the story, we read that Peter goes and Peter uses that opportunity to be able to tell this centurion and the family, the household of this centurion, all about Jesus. And again, similar to the Ethiopian story, these people that were considered on the outside, these people that were considered the enemy, these people that were considered unclean, unworthy, all the people that God should say no to as far as Peter's concerned, here we see God is saying yes to. It's revelation and response. And like I said at the beginning, we could go through the Bible time and time and time again and see revelation and response. Revelation and response. So friends, today, pay attention to, to what God is revealing to you. Um, whether that's through opening the Bible, whether that's through the conversations that you have with people, whether that's through music that you listen to, or if you go out on a walk, keep your eyes open to, to the, the revealing that God is doing all the time. And then think about how you respond, because it is always that pattern, revelation and response, grace and peace.